Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conservation, a laid-back podcast where we discuss everything from cool animals, conservation, the environment, and what we can do to help. I'm Robert Pike, a field journalist for the Global Conservation Force, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Veal, a world-renowned rhino conservationist and president of the Global Conservation Force. All right, and we are recording. I can see all lines are healthy and moving, so... Robert, you want to do the intro? Yeah, yeah. I've already explained to Blake how terrible I am at pronouncing things. Um, all right. So I've already, done, I've already got all the awkward parts done, and I'm going to nail yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to nail it. Because I was telling Blake, remember, God, who was it? It was not It was Adam. Oh, my gosh. It was Adam. What was his last name? And I couldn't pronounce it for the life of me. I'm not going to. Okay, I'm. I'm yeah. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. All Hi, right. welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Conservation. My name is Robert Pike. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Veal. Today's special guest is Blake Moynes, reality TV personality and conservationist. Uh, he's a very, very cool guy. I'm really, really happy to sit down and talk with him. Blake, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This should be fun. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, so the, the first question I always like to ask, you know, obviously new people and, and just anybody who we, we bring on the podcast, but you know, this is a really big question, but if you could kind of whittle it down, but what brought you into the world of conservation? What would be your origin story per se? Oh, geez. Origin story. Um, this, uh, how you window this one down. Um, <laughs> it's been a crazy, crazy whirlwind just to how the, how do I got to the spot that I am in now? I've always um, loved wildlife animals as a kid growing up and found any way that I could to, you know, create ecosystems in my backyard or at the cottage or whatever. I just had that natural uh, tendency and gravitated to wildlife and animals. And so um, I went to school for outdoor adventure uh, with uh, adventure tourism and learning how to uh, guide in the outdoors, all kind of thing. Because the issue was, is I was a bit of a, a jock in school and I put too much effort into hockey and I didn't get the marks that I needed to go to take animal behavior and zoology and all those kinds of things. So I, I applied uh, to a random job online um, to become a falconer, essentially, an apprenticeship as a falconer. And so that was my gateway into working with wildlife and in the conservation space. Um, and that kind of turned into a couple of different other jobs from wildlife management and operations with urban pest management and city centers and I just started to dive into uh, volunteer experiences with um, more exotics, as you would say. And my first trip was out to Care for Wild in South Africa, uh, where I just fell in love with rhinos and obviously the issue with poaching uh, that surrounded them. And I landed on a reality TV show, which um, allowed me to almost advocate in a way that I never thought of that I could and was bringing a lot of awareness and funding to a lot of organizations uh, through the platform that came through the show. And so I I thought, well, why not, why not just follow this passion in a way that's going to be the most rewarding, but beneficial for uh, different causes and species. Mm -hmm. And so I just continued to do that and connected with different nonprofits uh, and organizations doing great work. And I've just been partnering, collaborating with them in a way that I could, uh, the best way that I could. And that's through the platform and the voice that I have. That's super. No, that's I, cool. I think I windled that. I think I windled that pretty, pretty. That's like, fantastic. That yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's pretty good. I mean, the uh, one thing that's cool about conservation is that there's like every single time we get asked about like, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? There really isn't one set road or path. Mm-hmm. Everybody has like a snaking trail that winds and weaves and goes in different directions and leads them to a direction 
that they want to be in. And then in that direction, they start to refine their skill sets and their interests and, and kind of their broad scope of activities. Cause you can be involved in conservation in so many different ways. It's not just like what some people think is just, you know, just directly hands on with animals. There's so many mm-hmm. other avenues. So it's cool that, uh, this, your story has kind of weaved and come through to where it's at now because uh, it's just a, yet again another version of how do you get yourself into the field? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you know the interesting thing is when you think of conservation, there's like you know there's veterinarians, there's you know sanctuaries, just keep like just all these different avenues that people can come in. And I think you know there. I think the avenue that I came in is there's not many people out there that come in with, okay, I have a platform and a voice, which is very, very valuable to the cause that are happening and getting education out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just thought it was such a disservice if I let that go to waste to use my platform for things that are simply self-serving and really um, dumb and materialistic in the way that we look at things, especially in the Western world. And so, um, yeah, I just found a, a way that was really valuable. And as soon as I figured that out, it was, it was a very easy um, click aha moment. Just to like, this is how I can help and make a, a difference here. Absolutely. That's, that's a great way of putting yeah. it, like that aha moment. Yeah, you know? that's, that's awesome. It's so true. Um, and, and the fact that you chose to use your platform for this voice, uh, I can only imagine how much better things would be if more people with the level of reach you have um, actually got their hands dirty <laughs> in, in yeah. on the ground, involved on things. Because I think too many folks just assume like, oh, I, I've heard about it. I've read about it. Something's being done when in reality, especially in wildlife conservation, it is a constant uphill battle like it is a oh there's always something happening there's always something of need and there's always something in trouble so you know the kudos to you man for popping in and and making that effort because it's definitely needed <laughs> there's there's a huge need in this avenue for for Im- Im- ambassadors but hands-on and uh, representative work in a way that truly shows what needs to be done and highlighting uh, some of the less than sexy avenues of conservation because not everything's super cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's there's that there's navigating is is very interesting because you know the things that really should be posted the most are the things that wouldn't engage very well on your platforms, mm-hmm. but they're the ones that are, are important to post. And then you have to find ways to make them engaging and make people want to connect to them. And so, you know, I'm still navigating that the best way that I could, but that's why I think connecting and um, getting experience out there with true professionals um, just gives you the best type of information and input as to how, how to go about things the right way. And, you know, it's been two years of doing this and it's been a lot of fun, but it's, there's been a lot of ups and downs and sometimes you can get kind of um, not down on yourself, but when, you know, you're posting stuff that's really meaningful, but doesn't pull the way you would mm-hmm. expect. But it's like, I don't care. I'm going to keep pushing this because this is what matters. And I don't care that, you know, you want more photos of me with either my shirt off or posting with this. It's like, I don't care what you want. I still am going to stick to stick to um, 
the fundamentals of like what is meaningful and what has purpose. And so I'm just sticking to those guns no matter what and, and keeping on with this, uh, the road I'm on. Yeah. You know, there's a way, there is a way in there, you know, eventually folks will engage. And like you said, you just got to find the way to do it. And it's almost culture shock for them sometimes when you change your, your branding imagery, right? So you go from this type of imagery and then boom, here's something serious. And they're like, uh, that's different. And maybe it's not that they didn't (laughs) even dislike it. It's just, they, they were, entranced and didn't really know what else to do with it you know they're like read it and they're like wow yeah and, they, and then their brain kind of moves on but um yeah i mean it's it's a complicated space i mean um i mean let's let's uh dive into some good stories here because uh we <laughs> definitely have quite a few now um yeah so, so wait, wait mike how do you now how, blake how did you mike and mike like run into each other Actually, that's a good start. Let's let's yeah. start there. Blake, how did you actually find uh, Global Conservation Force and myself? Um, so it, Global Conservation Force would have popped up for me through socials. Uh, I think through the uh, networking and wanting and, and the, just the self uh, initiative to want to learn more about what conservation uh, organizations were out there. And um I started following a whole bunch and reading up on, you know, interesting posts that were coming up to, to, mm. because this is all a self-education thing for me. Right. So I started just diving into people's um, socials to learn more. And while I was doing that, uh, global conservation force popped up. And so I've been following them for a while now, but um, it was a, a mutual connection in um, Kelly King, who met Mike, I think in, uh, like a gala or something like that, cool. if, if I'm correct. And um, I had, I was always looking to potentially do a, a, a an APU or wildlife training program, wildlife ranger training program, just immerse myself into that world a little bit more and truly grasp what it takes to be a ranger and why they're so important. And mm-hmm. so I saw Mike's program through his website and I shot over a message to Kelly King, who I saw followed uh, Global Conservation Force. I asked if they, she knew anything about this program, this organization, and she had raving things to say about Mike and the work that he was doing. So I reached out to Mike personally, and it kind of snowballed from there. And um, we jumped on a Zoom call, and uh, that's what led me to uh, the crazy but amazingly awarding oh. experience in, in uh, South Africa with Mike and uh, his team. Oh, cool. Yeah, isn't that crazy, Robert? Yeah, it's the wildest thing. That's the, I mean, that's really, really rad. I mean, I dig it. So, so Blake, yeah. uh, just so you know, Robert is actually our field journalist. He would normally be on one of these tours. However, um, we didn't have enough funding this time to bring Robert out for the whole segment. Oh, okay, um, very cool. So Robert is actually generally on deployment following our instructors, um, mm-hmm. our partnerships and community programs, um, a lot of our distance based in depth. So like Robert's been in like the thickets of the jungle doing yeah. camera traps, oh, okay. and snare removals, and he's under so much in tigers and all that other stuff. And then he's been with me on like job and patrols mm-hmm. in Indonesia and mm-hmm. Africa. And, um, uh, Blake, you know, our Aussie instructor, Chris, right? Pretty yeah. well yeah. now. Oh, you met Chris? Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that guy. So, yeah, no, he, uh, yeah. he's pretty did funny. Did he paint you up and make you yeah. uh, do like a casualty victim victim thing? 
Uh, uh, I mean, I essentially was a casualty out there, so he had to treat me from day to day with a uh, inspection that I'm sure we'll probably get yeah. into. <laughs> <He> did. <laughs> so I'll share a quick story that's pretty funny because it, okay. it, has, it has lapsed for like two, five years, six years now. Mm-hmm. So years ago, um, Robert was on a deployment following our medical training and self-defense and force escalation and de-escalation training with Chris and another one of our instructors in Southern Africa. So they were going through several reserves and units and they ended up in KwaZulu Natal province. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were working with national parks and private game reserves there. And um, it's my understanding when you guys stopped through at Anton's that by Anton's that Chris was getting a big chuckle out of the fact that you, Robert, were not super stoked about the black mambas and the forest Mm -hmm. cobras. And yeah, dude. He he put the uh, <laughs> the literal fear of snake god into Robert, um, so much so that it has haunted Robert to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Robert has zero trust with me and creepy crawlies around. So Robert, yeah. if he sees me anywhere near anything that's slithering or crawling or creeping around, he bolts the bales. Like. I- <laughs> So yeah, so generally as a rule, if it doesn't have legs and if it doesn't have fur, I don't trust it and I don't want to hold it. And the problem is though, that Mike is very convincing when he's near these snakes and he can usually talk me into doing anything. So he, generally I don't want him super near it either because uh, it gets really <laughs> scary. Fair. fair. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I, I kept I completely get what you're saying. Where he's so convincing with things, I was trying to read his psychology and read into him with all of his sergeant tactics through the program I was in. So I full know I know full well what you're talking about with that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of it from that scope. Yeah, Blake uh, Blake had to deal with the uh, the sergeant Mike version on the APU course of of me, and since uh, instructor Chili couldn't make it for this. Uh, this year's course, I was uh, the blend of Sergeant Chili and Sergeant Mike. So you, Robert, you can probably relate to what that's like. <laughs> yeah, man, it's actually really interesting. I, and you know, I always think of like Mike as like a, you know, like the Sour Patch Kids, you know, like the, the commercial, like first they're sour, then they're sweet. Like, you know, Mike's got that on off switch where he goes like super hardcore and then like he's laughing and then he's hardcore and crazy again and then he's laughing again. So I think it's really, yeah. really funny. Yeah. yeah. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I was trying it's, to read into that. And I, I just, I was never winning, put it that way. <laughs> so Blake, you actually went and did the APU course. Like you were out there and you did all the ranger I, training stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I actually went out and enrolled in the actual course. I went through the training until my, my foot issue happened, which put me out, I think like midway through week three or so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a, I guess this is a good starting or, or connection point. So, um, we had on the course, we had uh, several of the senior GCF instructors, and uh, we also were missing several of the senior GCF instructors this time. But that said, we still had uh, pretty good coverage. And so, um, Robert, if you remember last course, we were not only threading the needle because of COVID issues, literally, like everything in South Africa was like shut down and very limited. Um, we had to be very careful about uh, transportation and flights. So like Chris 
wasn't able to be on our last course and uh, several other of our team members were literally locked into place in certain countries. Um, so we had to scale it back a week and by several of our modules last time um, to which it didn't change the quality for the guys that were on the course. It just, I think maybe frustrated some of the senior instructors more because we couldn't do as many things as we normally would. Um, mm -hmm. So that said, the course that Blake was on, we didn't have to hold anything back. Um, luckily with the Save the Horns funding and the grant from Elephant Cooperation, we were able to regain uh, all of our scheduled modules for the program. <laughs> so that said, it was pretty difficult, uh, which, you know, it's, it's going to be no matter what, uh, it's just going to have a lot more variable aspects to it. So, uh, Blake comes into picture, um, in this, in this Avenue, uh, Blake has called me and he says he wants to go through ranger training. We're talking about the benefits of understanding on the ground aspects of wildlife protection through the eyes of a ranger, like actually understanding those, those tactics and avenues and theories that way, all of the fluff and BS that you see on social media is easier to see through. And the other side of it too, is the value of going through what's called a FAGASA course, a field guides association of South Africa and how that's like a naturalist course for becoming a guide. And so Blake and I take that zoom call and Blake decides to come on the APU course. And, um, I explained it's going to be difficult, but Blake told me, I, I definitely didn't explain how difficult it was going to be. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, you know, I, I think the best way to say it is it is like going into police or military training function. Um, except it's not at the same time, anything like being a police officer or in the military, um, instead of training people to be um, sit down, shut up, take my orders after you're done training, it's be independent, be self-reliant, be reliable, be a team member, be a leader. Uh, yeah. It's kind of the opposite of military where it's just like, take a step, stop, hurry up and wait. It's innovate, mobilize, self-reliance, be prepared, be ready for anything. Um, so it's more in tune with some of the more advanced things you would do in police or military while also a hundred percent custom catered to the bush and the skills that you need. Yeah. So, um, I didn't get to see day one. I actually had some stuff that I had to finish up in the, in the U S before cruising over. So I didn't get to see day one or day two when everybody got cold Turkey shocked. Uh, but Sergeant Christian took the, the lead on intro and Blake, I'll let you tell, like, what was it like? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it was the 8th, uh, yeah, 8th of January was the day the course was going to start. We knew that there was a start time around 3 PM that afternoon. I showed up late morning for the most part. I, uh, I think it was only me and another guy there at that point. Um, and you know, the, yeah, the tone was, was very cool. It was chill. You know, I had met a bunch of the people there that were going to be running the course and, you know, it's, everything was kind of like, you know, breezy. I felt it was calm. It was, it was good. Um, and until about like 30 minutes leading up to like three o'clock, they asked us to all, you know, line up outside. And 
I think just naturally, you know, I, I did feel like out of place in, in a sense with some of the language barriers between myself and the other uh, 10 guys and um, felt like I stood out like a sore thumb in some way just because I was so foreign to, to that world. And um, so we were standing outside there and uh, we're standing there for a while and everyone's kind of looking around like, what are we doing? What are we waiting for? And it just seemed like at three o'clock, the the tone changed um, at three o'clock <laughs> and um, it, it abruptly. So everyone was given a number and one by one, they would call us into the, the main hub room. And I think at that moment is when I just kind of realized, okay, the seriousness of, the, of what this was going to potentially be like for the next five weeks. And um, so I was, uh, you know, number six, I, I get called in and as I'm kind of just like, you know, not moseying in, but, you know, walking in to find a seat, it was very like in your face. Like Sergeant Christian was like, let's move. What are you doing? Sit here. Like it was very like, I was like, chill <laughs> like, in, in my head, <laughs> like in my head, you know, I'm just like, all right, man, like shit. And, you know, take a seat and I'm kind of sitting there waiting and you could tell everyone's kind of like stick, stiff as a board. Like the rest of the guys have already been there and we're all kind of looking at each other like, serious why is everyone so serious it's just chill and uh the next guy walking in behind me was pro and uh pro was walking with his hands in his pockets and you don't you don't you don't you don't walk with your hands in your pockets so uh and I, we learned that pretty quick he walked in and sergeant Kristen was like get down on the floor right now and, and pro thought he was joking i also was like jesus like in my ear like looking up at him like what's going on and he's like get on the floor give me 10 or whatever it was and hold yourself in a plank let's go you don't walk around like that in my boat and i was just like okay am i in like an army pro what am i where am i right now like what is you know so it really set the tone and i was looking around like what the hell within 10 minutes i'm getting my head shaved and i'm just like what the hell is going on here and at the time i had no idea I couldn't find the reason as to like why it was going to be so serious and the discipline that was going into this and the structure and by the end of the course, I absolutely understand the importance of all this. But at the beginning, it was just a very much a culture shock as to like, what did I get myself into? And am I going to be able to withstand this for the next five weeks with this constant uh, walking on eggshells type of feeling? But uh, it was certainly a wake up call in that beginning. And it took and a lot of the guys uh, the first week was, I think, the most challenging for a lot of the guys just because it was such a shock to what we're going to be in for for the next five weeks or so on top of just, you know, the world that we are in with like being in the bush and, and all the lessons and things like that. Yeah. The elements are absolutely unforgiving, but it is, it's actually really entertaining to hear it from the introduction phase that you're talking about because uh, Sergeant Christian and myself went through that when we went through training in the greater Kruger and Kruger overlap region. And um, I very much had the same reaction you did because I was the first foreigner. I was the only foreigner on the course. Sorry, excuse me. No, I had one more, uh, one other foreigner with us on the course. Uh, a friend of mine who's a German guy. Um, but there was like seven different languages on the course and it was just boom, here it goes. And just like you said, it started just like normal, normal. And then the switch turned on. It was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Uh, yeah. So I know that feeling. Um, to give you guys a little insight, <clears throat> there's a course Bible, the GCF course Bible. And so in the background, 
as you're walking up, everybody knows the program from the GCF site already. So like day one, it says instructors arrival, GCF instructors get all phone numbers, keys and vehicles and prep for the necessary course. Instructors meetings, host a roundtable council and formal admin meeting, discuss who takes what roles and operations during the course. Identify your external aides and who may take runs to towns and emergency contacts or other parties or for unseen emergencies. Separate male and female housing, create the food plans, and then have the paperwork signed. Then it says shaving head, course initiation. Next, assign each recruit their course number, assign each recruit their room and section, hand over gear for course, PT assessment, weapons interview assessment, lessons introduction, drill, mock firearms, coursework, recruit refinement, and then recruit character building. <laughs> Behaviors that will be yeah. addressed if caught by instructors immediately. Feet dragging, hands in pockets, unkept uniform or appearance, attitude. And so uh, <laughs> tardiness, complaining, back talk, failure to act with teamwork, abuse, or sorry, obtuse bullying of another recruit. So something outside of the comical safe realm. Right. Um, then it has appropriate corrective measures. On the, There's a whole list here, but the first one is plank during corrective lecture. <laughs> so, you know. Okay, really so there funny. you go. <laughs> it's really funny yeah. to hear that bounce through because it's like the the we know we know training so well we know like how the behavior response is going to be um, and so you have a setup platform and I can tell you for a fact Christian didn't have to go to the course Bible to read any of this um, it's just an outline for more like uh, for example Corporal Dylan who he's worked in the right. bush and he's got Ranger experience and he's been trained but he hasn't been a lead instructor. So he doesn't know right. all of the tactics. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we get through day one, I show up on day three and the recruits are, are whipped into movement. They're doing their uh, dangerous game approaches and their weapon competencies. And the comedy, the comedy starts because I could see in their faces when I showed up that, oh no, there's another one of them, like another instructor. Yeah. <laughs> Blake, what yeah. Was, you, so you guys first met instructor, so you met Sergeant Christian and Corporal Dillon and Sergeant Toomey. And then you guys yeah. had Chris and Andrew from SecPro. Um, so sorry, Chris from Karika Foundation and Andrew uh from sec pro for the weapons competency uh what what was the progression because you guys didn't see me i think until the morning of day four uh if i remember correctly mm -hmm. yeah so uh yeah i mean everyone everyone was scared for the most part of you know the start everyone was just walking on eggshells around anyone that had any authority i think with with gcf everyone just constantly felt like their eyes were on them and stuff to some degree but i think I remember hearing from some of the guys in, in my room that uh, th like they were like, yeah, but um, like the the boss, they were like, I remember they were like talking about you as like the boss or how they're trying to explain to you. The boss shows up in like two days and like apparently he's like, it was pro I think I was talking to. It was like, apparently he's like very serious. So I'm like, well, I don't know if you get like scarier than Christian, but like if Mike's scared, <laughs> then like shit. <laughs> So I, the guys, I remember like knowing like they were had this mindset of the boss is showing up though in two days, so like it's going to get worse. And so, um, 
So there was definitely that tone around uh, you showing up. And um, I remember being in the room, like, I don't know, it just, it was the morale of the room in the first week was so different from like three weeks in the morale in the room in the beginning was very, people were on the fence. Like people were just like, not, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that fun in the first week. Cause it mm-hmm. was, uh, people were trying to figure out if this was for them or not, you know? And it was, so it was a lot of inter intertwined teamwork in the rooms and talking amongst each other to like, you know, let's just get to day seven and see what we're like from there type thing. So, um, yeah, first week was very interesting with the onboarding and introducing and trying to understand each sergeant and how they operate. And till this day, we still they'll they'll still not know when you're going to show up and be yelling at them or giving them a, a nice bry for the night or a potential movie night or whatever else you tried to make us think was going to happen before you ran us through the mud. So, <laughs> so uh, Robert, you 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 know the drill. <clears throat> You've seen this from all avenues. Um, what was your first impression going back to some of the training courses? Because, I mean, you've been on our um, cyclical and annual advanced training programs for active units, which is nothing like this. It's not the boot camp version. But you've also seen, like, myself and um, Sergeant Chili on, on these details. I mean, I, I remember some of the commentary, but share f- through the lens because you, you're you're the – the fly on the wall at all times with all of these aspects doing interviews and cameras and drones and specialty shots and stuff. Like what, what is, what was your first take on some of these things? Yeah, I'm in a really interesting spot, you know, as the field journalist, because I get to see both aspects of the recruit and of the instructors. You know, sometimes it's really interesting for me because, you know, I'm I'm watching these instructors, you know, train and drill the recruits and I'm over here eating orange slices and just kind of watching. But it's been a very interesting, you know, like I almost get like a secondhand degree and um, like tracking and wildlife approach. And, you know, I get to learn vicariously through the instructors and the recruits. So I'm in a very privileged position to get all the pros and none of the cons, right? So I get to learn and do all this cool stuff, but I also get to sleep in a warm bed and, you know, not get yelled at. So I, I really, really like it. And what's really interesting too is uh, during the last um, ranger training I was Don a part of, or the ranger training that I recorded, I actually was, uh, I got this little code name and, you know, my code name was, um, was Don Julio and nobody was allowed to talk to me. So I was just <laughs> literally like a fly on the wall. And I really got to experience a firsthand encounter of the rangers and of the instructors. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. I, I, I loved it. I loved it. Blake, I feel like you had a small flashback when Robert said, don't talk to Don Julio. Like there is a, like a, a memory flash there. <laughs> What's that story said again? I feel like there was a memory flash or a flashback for you there when when Robert said, "Don't talk to Don Julio," like from instructor Mike, because of the some of the same aspects where we we would be super normal and oh, then we would be oh, like, "Oh, oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent." You, you kind of, I think that was part of it, right? You, you never, I don't know. We, we just all, always felt like we were in the unknown, and we were never getting ahead of a re, a read on anything. Like it was. And it was to keep us on our toes with things in, in general. Like it just, it was always kind of felt uncomfortable. Um, but it was interesting. Like when, you know, once the injury kind of happened to me and then I could understand, well, I think just being around the sergeants and the, the authority of GCF more, I was able to understand the premise and the reasoning behind doing things the way that they were, because it all served a purpose. It was just, it's as the recruit, it's impossible to really see 
why there's a meaning for this or why did you have to do this or why did they have to treat us like this? But being on the other side, it was very easy to see why. And so, um, you know, those guys will unfortunately never get to probably <laughs> probably see why things are why they're done the way they were. But, you know, for me, I think it was I think it was almost in some way beneficial to see that side of things from the operation side of things, because it makes a lot more sense. And to, you know, the training programs like this and why they're important, why they're structured the way that they are. Yeah, no, that's that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it's it is supposed to always result or be a mystery for the actual recruits. And then it starts to become an aha moment as they are working on the job. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of funny because we, we fledged them, if you will, to be 100% ready. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about week two. Week two was a pretty funny week um, because your favorite March happened on week two with the polls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, like, so <laughs> that day... So, I mean, so week two was starting a Sunday, but I mean, it really week two for me started that Saturday night when you told us we were going to get, you know, a nice braai and a nice barbecue or potentially could watch a movie that night. And Sunday was going to be a day off. Sunday was going to be a day off. And I'm just, you know, I'm, little tactics of like, you know, oh, this, the schedule was left up on the wall by accident. Everyone can say, oh, we get a day off on Sunday. Look at that. Like, you know, everyone starts talking amongst the group. <laughs> And everyone's kind of excited about this little day offer game on Sunday. But I remember the email that Mike sent that I'm like going through. I'm like, yeah, but like in the email, it said no days off, no this, no that. It was like really strong. I'm like, why would he be giving us a day off? But like, yeah, you know what? He's really selling me on this movie night and all this stuff. So perfect. Let's have a good night and a day off tomorrow. This is great. And um, that night we are ripped out of our beds at like three in the morning to do PT in the middle of the night. I, it was a half the guys were in boxers and no clothes on essentially. And the, ever, we woke up the next day, we had a test and we went right into, you know, going to a black rhino territory for the most part. And so that thicket, that, 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 that really thick stuff when we had to carry poles and the fence posts were to make sure that you never leave your partner behind. But, you know, having a fence post up around your shoulder and, and one hand and having your firearm in one and the other, well, you don't really have much to guard yourself from the thorns and the thicket that you got to throw your face through to get through the, <laughs> the valleys of black rhino territory. So, you know, that day was a, a major character uh, day for me. And I, I was miserable the whole day. I was miserable even the day after, just like, why did they make us do that? It was, I don't understand why they made us do that. And, there's multiple reasons as to why I can see the importance of that now. But in that day, I was thinking about, you know, you start to get those feelings of quitting creeping up on you. And it's like, yep. I don't want to do, I don't want to do this. You, you get those creeping in. You try to find reasons as to why you're not. And you start to lean on the guys more in your room. As soon as you get back from those, those crazy days of, you know, doing how many K it was from 20 to 25 or whatever it was. If you don't have those other guys in the room with you uh, laying in bed with no phones and you just have to talk amongst each other and talk yourself through, you know, how crazy that day was and how you can't believe you got through it and, you know, what's tomorrow and, you know, let's just get through tonight and, you know, get a good breakfast in us and, you know, we'll just take it day by day. If you don't have those chats with the guys and you don't have that camaraderie, uh, I can see guys dropping out of that program if you don't, if you're not able to make those connections and those friendships because you need the teamwork to do it together. And so when those feelings of quitting start creeping in, uh, it's, 
you know, you just don't know what the next day is. Like if they put it on another heavy day like that the next day, like I can see some of the guys that I was talking to who were really considering like, you know, those quitting feelings creeping in, maybe pulling, pulling shoot. So it's, it's interesting how the sergeants can read that tone and have that feeling of the recruits and be able to dial it back in ways um, <laughs> and then ramp it up again. Uh, when they need to. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting concept. Um, and that day will always be the day that I look back on when I'm sitting here in a week being like, Oh, I'm tired or I'm hungry or today is super long. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, and people, you know, complaining here and when they have it so good, I'll be like, no, no, no. I'll always go back to that day as a comparison. Like, no, that day you were tired, that day you were hungry. If you can get through that, you can do a lot of things here that you normally would complain about uh, on your day-to-day back here in Canada. So uh, that day was a great day for me in hindsight when I really hated it in the moment. Yeah, I, I appreciate your insight there on everything. Again, you know, it's, it is all calculated. So to give everybody else who's listening a full spectrum of what's happening, we wake them up, we deprive them of food and sleep and comfort. We let them think they're going to have a day off, so they change their mentality. But we actually are going to deliver a very, very, very difficult day. And the idea is to pressure crack them so that they learn to lean on each other. Because up to this point in the course, they're actually all kind of still acting like individuals. So we need to have yes. a very strong break so that they learn to lean on each other and start communicating. And the whole pole situation is it's this, like not super heavy pole, but it's a long pole about four inches wide, or sorry, four inches in circumference. Um, And ours are, mine was bigger than that, but I also went for it because I'm like, I can't, (laughs) I can't, I'm like the biggest guy here. I can't just get a dinky little pole. So I'm like, I'm going to get a big pole. And because I didn't know what we were going to do for the day. So I didn't know I was going to be dragging it around with me for 25K. Yep. Otherwise, I would have just grabbed a, skinny, a skinnier one. But like, shit. Yep. And you get uh, stuck with yeah. it. And then, and then we yeah. – um, so from an operation side point, this entire time, we're not only running a training course. We're actually very strategically um, calculating areas to do presence patrols, sweeps, snare sweeps, and uh, multifunctional operations to – set off the syndicates. So during this time frame, there was a lot of activity from the Rhino syndicates. I'm working with uh, multiple reserves, the council for the entire area, and with uh, partners in the police force for South Africa. And we're trying to be very strategic of where we go to basically do forward operations that throw the syndicates off their game. Because all of a sudden, boom, there's 14 guys in uniform doing a big patrol over here. And to the outside, it looks like a big flex because the guys are all in uniform and kit and they've got their packs on and they've got these big poles and it looks like they're going to go build a base in the middle of who knows where. And then from the instructor to the recruit side, we're specifically targeting a team building operation, but through a very, very intense physical challenging day. And every time you think you're done, you're not even close to being done yet. And so you're cracking everything together. And... uh, you know, the instructors are right in the middle of everything with the recruits. We don't leave the recruits. We're always there with them and we do everything with them. And so it's not like we're just telling you what to do. We're right there. We're not carrying the poles, but we're right there with you guys. And um, some of the things from the instructor side is actually, it's pretty hard not to laugh sometimes. Uh, 
because <laughs> a certain instructor will say something or a certain recruit will have a response to something. And it is so hard not to crack that smile or burst out with a laugh. And one of them in this specific day was we were about 10 kilometers into this, this March and Blake is like a beacon in the, an audio beacon in the distance in front of us. And we just keep hearing F bombs <clears throat> because of how difficult the bush is. So we had to, we had to stop and let the recruits go further in and burrow through the bush in these big ravines and, and canyons and valleys because we couldn't not, we couldn't contain the laughs. So we had to stand back so we wouldn't laugh too closely to the guys <laughs> because Blake was like, was like an F-bomb sonar going through the whole valley and we couldn't stop laughing at it. Uh, <laughs> not because he was in pain or suffering, but because of the, the, the how they would come out. They were so comical. Um, yeah. 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 It was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was interesting. So I know when I go overseas and I cover some of the stuff that the Global Conservation Force, you know, I, you know, that does and I get to film, I almost get hit by like two different culture shocks, right? There's the culture shock of when I arrive to the country, you know, it's usually a different um, atmosphere, it's different, different food, different dialects. But I also get hit with another culture shock, like when I come back to America, right? You know, because it's, it's completely different. Everybody kind of goes really quick here. You know, people are usually like really mad at like traffic or, you know, they're really mad at their drink order and things like that. And it it really kind of puts things in perspective as to like you know how I don't want to say how good we got it here but like you know we we value things differently here. Do you have did you experience something similar, Blake? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think like you know in all like I learned a ton, but I just learned honestly a ton about just myself and like oh, just a different perspective and more grateful for things that are we have here, especially you know and as simple as like. You know, some of those guys, the food, some of the food, uh, I forget that it was called corned beef or whatever it was, Mike. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I hate that stuff. But, but, but like there, you know, it's it, for those guys, they love it. It's a delicacy. And, you know, in some weird way, I felt bad about how much I despise it and disgusted. It was disgusted by it. But, you know, for them, it, it, it was something that they looked forward to eating. Right. And so I'm just like, I know I could be, I, I'm just, you know. I just look at things very differently now from the experience of being with those guys. I learned a lot from just the guys in general, the other the guys on the course. Um, you know, uh, I just listen to their stories and being with them literally 24 seven, um, just very, very different lives, um, from what we have here. And it's just a different perspective for sure. Walking away from that course. Yeah, that's, it's different, huh? Oh no, I was gonna say it's 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 especially the first time you're exposed to it, you realize how different life is, but they still wear a smile and they function and they still get through their days. And um our courses are community selected through a very um strategic and complex method so that we get the right players and the right people and we represent the community properly and this whole phase of things, but um they've had hard lives. I mean, um, many of the recruits don't have a second pair of shoes. They don't have a second shirt. Um, they don't have uh, power at their home. They don't have running water at their home. Like there's eight to 12 family members on average living at their home. So, you know, it, it is a humbling experience um, for when you're like, you know, I like to use the one of like, you go to Starbucks and someone's, you know, throwing a fit in line that 
their 40 item order didn't have the right combination of syrups or something like that. Yeah. And then you, you have yeah. these guys and they, they open a tin of what's essentially spam or like mixed meat. And like, that is a luxury to them. And they're extremely excited about yeah. it. Yeah. So Blake, I know you mentioned in the beginning that there was a little bit of cultural barriers going into the ranger training program. You know, you as an outsider, as a foreigner, um, was that the case through the entire process or, or how was it towards the end of the ranger training program? Were, were you more, you know, comfortable Were there, did you feel like any barriers or any cultural differences? Uh, it, uh, honestly, it maybe took, it maybe took like three or four days to start to understand the personalities a little bit. I think they're, most of the guys were quiet with me uh, and took a little bit to like open up to really like get to, to know to know them but by the end i mean i what felt like it felt like just one of them basically right but we also started to form like this uh, they would come to me for for a lot of things i think which are some of the language barriers and um asking my input and how to like do certain things i caught on to a lot of the the theory um but even practical and i think there there's some form of leadership that kind of formed with me and, and the guys and so uh, there was just a uh, a really cool bond that 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 happened between each and every one of them. Um, and I, as you start to get to know their personalities, I mean, I'm super easy to get along with. And I think very quickly I turned in from what could be because I'm a bigger guy, you know, I have a beard, and you know, I'm, I think I can be pretty intimidating to some degree. And I think it didn't take long for them to realize I'm just kind of like a big bear and super open and easy to get along with. And so it didn't take long along with just the teamwork that you're forced to get into to um, build that camaraderie with the guys and by the end be so close with, with all of them and just from respect level. And yeah, it was very cool to see that progression over the course uh, of time there. Did you like learn any cool, like local dialects? Like I think a lot of the guys are Kosa. Did you learn like any cool words or, or what was like the, the group there? Yeah, so this group was all community selected from uh, five partner reserves in the Eastern Cape uh, out of the Indalo Council. So each reserve put forth um, one to four nominations from their community that lived either inside the reserve boundaries or just outside the reserve boundary. And then and then we also brought down um, one of the second, second in command from our partnership operations at Mignani Private Game Reserve. So we had... Uh, we called him Mr. Mignani for the course is his course nickname, but Msumango, uh, so he's Zulu. And so uh, we had, uh, was it nine, nine Kosa, one Zulu, one Canadian. So mm -hmm. that was our mix. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's funny because there's a lot even between the Zulu and the Kosa culture, Kosa culture that uh, can be a little clashing sometimes, but they all got on so well it was awesome because honestly the way that the course ended with how everybody was together and communicated and we we teach the the guys to identify their strengths and recognize their weaknesses so that having a weakness is not a bad thing you're just honest with yourself so that you can find someone in your team who is better at that other task and you lean on them for that task so um it was really cool by, especially by the last final 24 hours to see how everybody had fit into a role and each one had a strength and each one had a, uh, or in some of them had clusters of strengths that were like 
you know, groups of all of strengths and, and the way they all help each other, which is a hundred percent what you want at the end of the course, you want them to really communicate, identify and thrive together, but then also be able to function on their own. And that's like the interesting thing about the Ranger world is a lot of times you're going to be just two man teams. You're not going to be in these big units, but you might have to function as a big unit when things are going crazy. And, um, so I, you know, us sitting back as the instructors, we were extremely proud of this group and how everybody graduated and, and formed and molded together a very strong, cohesive group. And it's cool. Um, but let's, uh, let's so blake is running short on time at this time so what we can do is we can let's introduce what happened to blake that we've been kind of skirting around this entire time and then we'll just introduce it robert will have you throw some questions and then we'll come back for a second episode to kind of dive deeper into it because i have to say so so robert and i were involved in a very serious car accident in 2021 in, in the Eastern Cape, and uh, the APU man, uh, program manager, Natasha Frolander, was also in that car accident. And uh, our APU guys were actually just behind us and just in front of us. Um, so we that was my last threshold for normal crazy, like what I would call like contained crazy things that can happen in unscheduled crazy minus removing all of my patrol crazy stories and all of the poacher interactions and arrests like all that apart like things that you could have that could happen to you on the road and the crazy comedy that ensued with that whole night which felt like we got dropped into a straight up monty python skit or like <laughs> it was next level and basically what happened was we were in a stretch of road um this stretch of road, there were cars coming to and from. It's one way on either side, and there's no lights. And we had come through there. I've literally driven through there thousands of times. And just this happened this night. There happened to be a very dark colored, like a burgundy and a burgundy colored cow, and it literally somehow dodged the headlights in the vehicle of a vehicle coming from the opposite side of the road facing us. It somehow was in between that vehicle and us. And with the blaring lights, we couldn't see it. And it literally stepped right in front of our vehicle at the last second. And we completely totaled the car and luckily came out of that alive. We were all, I'd say, decently injured. Uh, nothing serious, though, um, luckily. And uh, the way that the police and the tow truck driver and the insurance and everything else ensued was straight up out of a comedy skit. Uh, it was culture shock, even though I've been there for over a decade working on programs all over the continent. Um, that one took the cake. But I have to say, how this next one unfolded with Blake, my God, I literally was in shock. And my response to that level of crazy generally is laughing because I was, I just couldn't believe what was happening in front of my face. And so we'll, <laughs> we'll go back to the moment where we're after this crazy hike. And a couple days later, I believe it's a Wednesday. In fact, I have the notes right here. Yeah, it's a Wednesday. 
and Blake comes in and says, Hey, I've got a blister, but it's, it's, it's painful. It's more painful than it should be. And so we go, okay, cool. Let's take a look at it. So that's Sergeant Toomey and I, and we take a close, close look at it. Sergeant Toomey kind of cuts away the dead skin because the, the blister had peeled and it was dry underneath. And, um, there's this little, like what looks like a pressure indent underneath the blister it's it looks almost like a blister forming under the blister except it's tiny like maybe half the size of a pencil eraser and but we notice it we're like okay that's interesting so we look at it and sergeant toomey using a we sterilized a, a needle he's he's kind of just etching at it to see if it reacts and blake's like how oh, that really freaking hurts and we're like kind of we're kind of looking at it like that shouldn't hurt um anyways <laughs> yeah it yeah. progresses in it goes from this blister. So that's Wednesday. Thursday, Blake's starting to kind of like, like favor his opposite leg. And we're noticing that. So Thursday, I think it is, we, we told you not to run um, because we were saw, we saw you favoring. Yeah. And then Friday, yeah, he was in pain. And we told him no PT, no exercises. Uh, you can walk with the, the crew, but we need to kind of pay attention to this. And so we've told him, keep a really close eye on this and keep us up to date a hundred percent because we need to, whatever's happening with your foot, we need to be on top of this. We're not sure what's going on after the blister phase. Then Friday night rolls around and Blake comes to us and he's telling us level 10 pain and we see his foot and it's turned into a like pressurized, blister head underneath his foot which now we're all looking at it going like okay we've got to go to an actual doctor like this is not a regular blister we thought maybe it was a foreign body we thought maybe it was an infection from the blister we're like uh, either way we're not going to deal with it so between the instructors and uh the program managers we were deciding on where to go because it's a friday night in south africa um the public hospitals can be a whole rodeo and the private mm-hmm. hospital was basically over two hours away. And that becomes an arduous drive when you got cattle on the road and trucks. And also it's a Friday night. So people are likely to be drinking and, you know, you never know what you're going to hit on a Friday night. Yeah, exactly. So all this is coming through and we end up at the Port Elizabeth general hospital in South Africa with what starts off to be like a straight up comedy skit from hell. And <laughs> I, I, I sit with Blake in the waiting room and like, I'm like, Hey dude, I know this is a lot. I'm not, we're not going to leave you. We're going to stay here with you the whole time. And I was going to do that just because of like the culture shock of it all, but also I wasn't going to leave him hanging. Um, and because it's like, you know, it's all new for him and the stress of that. But also it became really apparent that I was going to need to be there just to monitor and kind of maybe direct some of the craziness that was going to be happening. Um, not to say there was much we could do, but it was a ride. It was a rodeo ride and it was crazy. <laughs> uh, Blake, I'll let you throw, if you want to throw like a, you know, a, a little bit in there and then we'll cut, we'll cut this episode and everybody's going to have to come back for episode part two uh, to catch up for this full story. 
Yeah, you know, I I, I guess, (laughs) you know, I think leading up to this point, for the most part, I, you know, being in a program like this, there's something about, you know, being tough and working your way through, you know, little aches and pains and things that are happening. And you're seeing things happen and unfold with other guys from sprained ankles and stuff like that. And, you know, so I really, I think, was pushing the limits on my own internal uh, feeling as to like what was actually happening with my foot. And, you know, Mike was right. I, I looking at it, it didn't look like much was was happening. And so I'm like, am I just being a wuss here? Like, what is going on? Why am I? Why is this so painful? But within days, I ended up being like, I gotta go. This is something going on here. This is not a simple blister. This is something. Something's happening inside my foot. And yeah, we walked up to that uh, public hospital and. You know, <laughs> things unfolded there uh, that I've, I personally just hadn't, you know, experienced kind of at a, at a hospital, obviously, in, in Canada or, or United States. But, um, yeah, it was a, a mix for, of a comedy skit and just one of the most painful uh, procedures that I had done in a very long time. And, um, <laughs> you know, so crazy. it's so interesting because it's so crazy because in the moment, I remember how painful this thing was when he was trying to you know treat it but it was so funny at the same time because it was so absurd it of was. The, the thing like that it, it, it that it was like i couldn't la- i was i was laughing but also almost crying at the pain uh just a sequence of events and you know i i i'm also just a very easygoing guy in general and so i try to keep things light <laughs> and i think comedic is is the best way to get it through a lot of situations but this is certainly uh one of the hardest hardest situations i ever went through being in a in a, in a hospital and going through that amount of 10 out of 10 pain while trying to keep things light was was uh wow yeah an experience i'll never forget that's for sure i've got to give it to you bro you were an absolute trooper but you were also hands down hilarious with how you handled that which is what made it so complicated in that setting where the doctor is being like a whole thing and the nurse was being a whole thing and the reception and the waiting room and then your response to it it was like third person view out was like next level what's happening here but um and i I'll t- I'll tell the full in depth from you know walking in the door to yeah you we, know the rent the rest of the whole foot thing the next time we come back we we need a whole episode wait so you mean we don't get to like well, I, I don't get to know like I don't get to well, like what happened what happened to his foot that's a good question Robert I think we leave it on a cliffhanger because uh, there's, there's a lot to <laughs> yeah. there's a lot <laughs> yeah so. Yeah um blake i know you gotta run we'll plan to get you back on soon so we can go into the next thing because this is this is well worth the share and it is next level and i i want to make sure we take the time to not traumatize people either like you know this is not what you have to go through if you're traveling in south africa uh yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah you know whole setup so but with that, uh, Blake, thank you for joining us for this episode of Coffee and Conservation. We'll call this part one of, part t- for, of two parts for what's going to be going through with the stories. And thank you for your time and energy spent learning the ropes and conservation and taking that time and making the sacrifices to actually represent the causes in the field. Um, I wish more people were taking that time to do that. So thank you for that. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you soon. No, I appreciate that. It was uh, it was great to be out there, and we'll 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 catch up on the rest of that story the next time we chat. Awesome.
All right, Robert, you want to take back that sign off? Uh, yeah, man, I can sign us off. Thank you so much for listening to The Coffee and Conservation. My name is Robert Pike. Again, I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Veal. Today's special guest was Blake Boynes. Be sure to check us in the second episode to figure out what happened to Blake's foot and any more Rangers training, uh, you know, cool stories to come along with us. But thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you guys in the next episode.